Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening. I'm Robert A. Wilson with Cowboy Wisdom Visionary Vitality and Cowboy Wisdom Radio. And tonight we're going to introduce you to Henry Canark Brown, teacher of healing prayer and meditation for several years in Miami and Chicago at synagogues, hospitals, nursing homes, and adult living facilities. Henry awakened one morning from a dream. It was an active and lucid dream which seemed more like being awake than asleep. It was packed with adventure and excitement, having met the prophet Enoch, Enoch and two of Enoch's angels, Raphael and Metrion. Metrion. An action-packed flight from home to various levels of heaven and back ensued in sight on life's purpose and surrounded Henry and penetrated every aspect of his existence. Henry's mission is to translate the enthusiasm and messages which came to him on numerous wonderful occasions into a book and can be a how-to instruction guide combined with the explanation which is an inherent part of the soul's missions as a teacher and a guide in his earth plane. And Henry is very enthusiastic with the intention to reintroduce a passion and excitement to life and to live into the lives of others. Henry's mission is to expand the human mind and link the mind of God using what Henry was taught to help heal the world. Henry is a frequent meditation and prayer, frequently meditate, meditation and prayer to the world, to a world without limits, teacher of, he's a hip, and he spoke at two healing expos with uh, lead speakers Deepak Chopra and Richard Shame. And he has a CD entitled Meditation Made Easy, which has sold over 1,000 copies. He's a certified hypnotherapist with the National Guild of Hypnotherapists. And he also has a book called Enoch's way. Listen to God and the angels. So without any further ado, I want to bring Henry on. Welcome to the show, Henry. Well, thank you, Rob. It's good to be here. And I want to give you Henry's website right away. E-N-O-C-H-S-W-A-Y.com. Enoch's way.com. Henry, give people a little insight to what Enoch and the way in your book would open their, expand their lives. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> Enoch uh, is actually my namesake. My grandmother named me uh, after Enoch, and I had no idea what that meant until I was probably about 50, actually. Uh, but I had a smattering of a Jewish upbringing, but never took it too seriously, never got too much out of it uh, from my parents, but Enoch is a pre-Diluvian, in other words, before the Noah flood, and he was a character who was uh, taken by God off of the earth, brought to heaven, palled around with the angels, learned all the things he needed to learn, and then returned back to the earth. He wrote a book for his children so that they would understand how to deal with life. 
Uh, and actually, he's a pretty well-featured uh, character in the uh, the recent movie, Noah. And I think uh, actually well-depicted. I was writing a book in my you know, change-of-life period of time, and I was kind of struggling with what exactly I should write about, history and of the Bible, lessons of the Bible uh, came to mind and I was spending a lot of time doing that. I was also working on meditation. I had become a certified hypnotherapist, but decided that it was kind of a nicer, kinder uh, way of dealing with helping people to understand themselves was through meditation rather than through hypnosis. Because, yeah, you can do self-hypnosis, but I decided that meditation was a, uh, a better way to approach it. Meditation allows you and teaches you, and really then it becomes up to the person who learns how to do meditation to be able to relax and quiet his mind and listen to the still, small voice. And that's really the key uh, to me was doing that. And I wasn't very successful in the early stages of writing the book until I did a very deep meditation, and it wound up being deeper than... I thought it was going to be. These things have an incredibly interesting way of taking on a life of its own. <clears throat> and I wound up having a very livid uh, dream with Enoch, where Enoch was guiding me and talking to me and it was astounding. It was astounding. And when I woke up in the morning, it was a holy mackerel, uh, not necessarily in those words, uh, kind of experience. So I actually picked up meditation again, and I have been working with uh, <clears throat> all kinds of people all over the country showing them how to do meditation so that they can live a better life, live a little easier life to help fix themselves. Because I believe sincerely that we as humans are here to fix the world. And what we need to do is start with ourselves and start with fixing ourselves. And one of the things we can do is to help ourselves in the health arena, being both physical health, mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health. And by that I mean tying ourselves to our, well, tying ourselves to God and linking with our higher self 
so that we can accomplish and, and so that we can actually know what our purpose is for being here on this earth. Because a lot of people stumble around without that knowledge or without giving that a lot of thought. It's kind of like, well, I got to make money this week. I got to make money this year. I got to get a better job. I got to do what my boss wants to do. And is that why we are here on earth? And my realization was, no, it's not. We are here to serve each other and our higher selves. Is that a reasonable intro to that whole That's very uh, good. Rob? That's very, very good. Because you touched on some things in there. It is the internal health for the eternal spirit that we really are here to expand. Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, my perception of why we are here on this earth um, is a spiritual-based one. And I live the spirit. I don't always do a good job at it. Okay, and none of us do. If we did, we'd sprout our angel wings and we wouldn't have to be here, you know, slugging through the mud. We are in the earth school, and it's tough. And we need to, we need to be able to also figure out how to have fun doing it. And I think that staying in spirit and understanding that God put us on this earth for the purpose of loving each other and working with each other. And we've got certain tasks that are kind of assigned to us that I really believe we, prior to being born, kind of made a nice verbal agreement and contract uh, with spirit that said, okay, you know, here are the things that I want to do when I'm on that earth. And I think then we get here and it's like, whoa, that I bite off more than I can chew? And the answer is always yes. But then adapting to it is what our life's all about. Here's a question I just got for me, and this is something I got, I'm going to write about. How am I here for, how is everybody here for a spiritual tutelage image as a human? Say again? How, how is, is everybody, everybody here, here on, on earth here for spiritual tutelage image as a human? Well, we, are, we manifest physically as humans, but we, we are actually a combination of physical being, spiritual being, energy being, uh, all at the same time. So I don't, I don't really think, and I think some, 
some people may have a little different view than I have. You know, some people talk about the physical and the, the physical world um, versus the emotional world versus the spiritual world. I think I know, for me, they're all combined together. I think God created the God created the world, God created us, and he created us in a wonderful way. And when we can look at God or look towards God, let's say, that's a little bit easier to to understand. When we can look towards God and say, you know, guide me. I want to do what I'm here to do and not worry about all of the other stuff. And in particular, I think humans need to divest themselves of fear. Fear, to me, is a manifestation, if you want to put it in religious terms, of the second commandment, which is, thou shalt have no false gods before me. And those false gods, to me, is fear. And unfortunately, governments, the schools, doctors, society, create fear as a controlling influence on all of us, each and every one of us. And even those people who are part of those controlling organizations are also in some ways controlled by those same or related organizations. So we have a terrible, terrible problem uh, with fear. And fear is caused when we just sort of wake up in the morning or turn around and go, uh-oh, I better not do that. And why? Why just not be able to live your life and say, you know, I just saw this guy, seems to need some help. I'm going to help him. I'm not going to worry about whether, you know, it's socially correct to do it. I'm just going to do what I know needs to be done in order to have goodness. So that's that's kind of like keeping God in front of our eyes all the time and just not getting not getting uptight and not worrying about all the kinds of things that can go wrong. You know, because we know when we have computers that when you have a computer, nothing ever goes wrong. Goes wrong. Goes wrong. Goes wrong. That's a little <laughs> joke. I got that one. A bad one, but it's... <laughs> It's very true, though, but ain't that the same as the human? What goes wrong? What goes wrong? What goes wrong? Absolutely. Ain't that what we're programmed from the school system and everything? If you watch yourself, 
you'll say that when somebody comes up to you, what's wrong? You say saying what's going right? Feel that, Henry? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a great website. Uh, um, I can't remember the name. It's embarrassing, but right up front. But it started about a year ago, and it has all of the positive things uh, that are happening in the world. <clears throat> but every one of our institutions is has a negative base. And we have to work diligently to not be, you know, to not be adversely affected by that negativity and just to do the right thing. Easier said than done. It is. But how have we been taught if we ain't, you know, Henry, I got to phrase this question just perfect because how have we been taught to think everybody, there isn't enough in the world of everything, and somebody's going to have more than me, make it a bad situation. Well, you know that there were a number of things that happened all at one time, and I don't want to link this to any one particular religion because I think that they're all equally uh, to blame. But that whole concept of lack uh, is fear. And that whole concept of lack becomes the economist's dream of having a supply and demand schedules. And we know that we have unequal distribution of goods and services around the world. So therefore, there's a concept that there is lack instead of plentiful. Now, what gives us a hint that we're really stupid about how we react to all of these things, including me. I mean, all of us. I'm saying us, us. That the some of the happiest places in the world and some of the happiest people in the world have a substantially lower uh, disposable income. Right, than we do in the United States. Now, how can that possibly be? But they're happy. So you can be happy not as a function of what you don't have, but as a function of what you do have. In other words, appreciate everything that you have as a gift from the higher being, from God. And when you do that, you can feel happy and you don't have to feel guilty. Henry, you just hit on something. How do people feel guilty when they have abundance and and they're ha- and just satisfied and happy is their life. How do they become get all convoluted from 
I must have done something wrong or taken from somebody when people feel that way. Do you feel, Henry? Well, that is a great question. If people really, really have not taken more than their fair share and are not greedy, then I don't think that they feel guilty. I think that they feel guilty when they understand that they've taken more than their share. And unfortunately, all of the religions um, are really big on guilt. That's really, you know, that's the ace up the sleeve um, of many of the religions. Just make them feel guilty. I mean, Jews feel guilty about practically everything. So do Italians, and they're mostly Catholic. Um, so do the British and the, and the Scotch, who are mostly Protestant. So it's really not religion-based, but it's fed this guilty, you know, this guilt stuff. Because look, look at what happens if if you're bad, um, or you you supposedly do something that isn't in accordance with what the church leader tells you, you're going to be punished. There's a lot of punishment that goes around, and I think that most of the time. Uh, God's not punishing anybody. So if we know that we've done something that we've learned ought to be punishable, then we're going to feel guilty. But there's one piece of the Bible that nobody bothers to read. And understandably, it's kind of at the end of the first five books of Moses. It's in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And what it says, and when I read this, I, I, I think I read it ten times. Because I said, I, I don't think that I, that I understand this. Well, wait a second. It says that God, after he's listened to Moses delivering all of the lessons in Deuteronomy up to chapter 30, God steps in and says, listen, if you guys don't do what I've asked you to do, if you don't live in accordance with the commandments, which are really not commandments, it's just the way of life as we have outlined, if you don't do those things, and you want to come back, and you want to follow God, and I will take you back. There is nothing that we can do that will really be the cause for God to throw us out. 
And that concept, which is very foreign to the American uh, psyche, is grace. Grace is a gift from God that says no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, I open you back, I open you to come back into my arms and everything is forgiven. Not only is everything forgiven, but you'll get five times as much as you were getting before. And that's God's grace. But Americans don't kind of don't like that because they feel like, well, wait a second. I got to work for it. And if I've got to work for it, how can that, you know, poor guy on the street, I don't mean, you know, poor shame. I mean, poor slob on the street who's a beggar and doesn't want to work and a ne'er-do-well I don't want that kind of person being able to come back to God and just be accepted back into God's arms. I'm doing lots of stuff that God's telling me he wants me to do, including all the tithing, including all the charitable you know, giving, and all of that stuff. And then somebody's just going to come along and say, God, please take me back. I haven't really been so great, but, you know, I want to, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to be a good person. Take me back. And God does, and that's grace. And Americans don't like that concept. I don't think. Well, I agree. And, Henry, how have we been taught if we ain't in competition with somebody we're losing. The how if we are in competition with somebody? Yeah, if we don't think we're we're always in competition with the other one, if we ain't trying to do better than the other one, we're really losing out instead of seeing, opening our eyes to our own talent. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's become the nature of our society. That's why... What I try to do with meditation and with showing people how to meditate is to understand, uh, you know, and it's a little bit like uh, uh, Joel Osteen, okay? I think Joel Osteen is fantastic. And I agree with about 99% of what comes out of his mouth. Even though he's a, you know, Southern Christian uh, minister and I'm Jewish, doesn't matter. Because no matter what you call God, God is God. You know, whether we refer to God as Allah or God or Elohim, whatever the name we give, God is God. And we need to know 
that we were created, each and every one of us, in God's image. Now, that's a bizarre statement. God is not a corporal, physical being. And so, therefore, it doesn't really have an image, except in the most wonderfully emotional, psychological, spiritual way. I mean, when we close our eyes, we can see God as our Heavenly Father. That's the kind of image uh, that we need to look at. And we need to understand that, you know, if we're five feet tall or six feet tall or seven feet tall, that's what God created us to be. You know, and even if he didn't, you know, people are reluctant to say, well, what do you mean created? What about Darwin? Well, I never saw Darwin create a human being. Um, but I think that we, we need to live in a way that helps us to understand that good things happen all the time. And we're responsible for doing that. You know, it's a, it goes back to a very, very ancient uh, text that the world is created one person at a time. And the, per, and the world needs to be fixed one thing at a time. It's not, you know, there's no ideal snap your fingers and we will be uh, in heaven. We need to just work on fixing each thing as we find it, to find each one of the gems that God has planted in each of us, whether it's the gem in me that I find or the gem in somebody else that I find and help them understand that they are a jewel and a gem. That's the one piece at a time uh, that I think we need to uh, we need to live with. And you know, and it happens every day, right in front of us when we open our eyes. Do you feel that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say 15 years ago, my concept was I've got to look around for good deeds to do. I was a Boy Scout. So that's the Boy Scouts, you know, part of the Boy Scouts motto. You've got to do a good deed. And so you used to look for good deeds. You know, smiling at your neighbor is a good deed. Because most people don't smile at each other, nor do they experience anybody smiling at them. And that's sad. And it's not necessary. I mean, if I can smile at some 
you know, at somebody, walk outside and give them a smile, and they just kind of look back at me and, wow, that's that's kind of interesting. Now, I also grew up in New York. Then in New York, you know, I think now maybe it's a little different, but I haven't lived there in 30 years. But when I was growing up in New York, you didn't smile at anybody on the street, <laughs> you know. But I smile at people. You know, how do people think smiling and being good to people is a weakness instead of a strength? Because they are so... They're so lacking in their own self-confidence that they can't understand how somebody... <clears throat> can look at them and say, hey, I'm happy to see you. What do you mean? Why would you be happy to see me? <laughs> well, Bodhisattva, I mean, that, that's just the guy who's feeling bad about himself. So it's not, you, but you know what? It starts to happen after a while. I've seen a lot of people turning around. Um, it's the Good News Network. That's the uh, website that I was thinking about that looks for good things happening in the world. Uh, it's kind of escaping me right now. Mm-hmm. What's that? I know what you're talking I said it's escaping me right now. No, no, it's called the Good News Network. Oh, okay. And it really only started, I, I think, maybe two years ago, three years ago at the most. And it was it was hard going because early early on, uh, the lady who started it was having a tough time uh, getting people to want to hear about nice things happening to other people. But it's it's caught on. And I think it's an incredible blessing. Um, Henry, how are people afraid of good news? Really afraid because they don't understand it. Uh, sorry, afraid of what? How are people afraid, actually, to hear there is good news going because it really goes against their teaching from society that everything has to go in kind of a war, pillage, plunder mindset? Well, I think that maybe that is that has been th- – that they started to turn around because, at least I hope, I mean, I see a lot of positive things on the Internet now, on Facebook, whatever, uh, where people are actually talking about good news. So I think that what was uh, reacted, you know, what people had reacted to and, you know, just kind of a negative or, you know, blase way, they now 
uh, are starting to react in a positive way. So I think that it's moving the world, you know, one step at a time towards the good side. And I agree with that. And it's, the Henry's website is enochsway.com. It's E-N-O-C-H-S-W-A-Y.com. And the book is Enoch's Way, uh, listen, Enoch's Way, Listening to God in the Angels. is available on your website and Amazon.com. And where else can they find the book, Henry? Well, I think the easiest way is on the website. Enoxway.com. If you go to Enoxway.com, there's a place to click uh, to go right to Tate Publishing to order the book, uh, or you can send me an email, and I will follow up and get you a copy of the book and charge you the appropriate amount of money uh, with uh, shipping. It's inexpensive. It's twelve ninety nine is the book. So it's not one of those $50 books. Uh, and there's a good message. And you can read part of what's in the book on Enoch's Way. And if you're on Facebook, you can read part of the book. If you go to Henry Hanoch Brown, and type in Enoch's Way. And anyway, Henry, what's that? Yes. No, go finish. Oh, no, no, I'm finished. All right, we're out of time, and I want to thank Henry and all the listeners for being here this evening. I really enjoyed the show with you, Henry, and I want to thank you for being here and all the listeners. Well, Thank you, and God bless you all. And we'll talk to you later, Henry. Thank you very much. Take it easy. And everybody, you too, and everybody have a good night. Bye. <laughs>